series that we're going to be working through um, for the next eight weeks. Yes, it's not really a series. I mean, it's just an, a bunch of individual topics, but they were selected by you, uh, which I think is really cool, and I think it's a good idea, and I think maybe we'll do that every summer. Maybe we'll have a choose-your-own-topic uh, every summer. So today we're going to do Victory in Jesus. Uh, Helen asked for uh, someone to, for me to teach on Psalm 118. That's one of her favorite passages, and I thought, that's a really cool passage. We talk about it a lot. If you've ever been to church, you've, you've read parts of Psalm 118. I thought that would be a really good idea to talk about, especially in the midst of our current economic uh, and world situation. So victory in Jesus, Psalm 118. This is what we're going to talk about tonight and talk about how we can have victory in our lives and the challenges of having victory. This week, when I was, you know, checking the news and reading stuff on websites and just, you know, understand what was going on in the world this week, there was a quote by one of Jimmy Carter's administration officials. How many of you remember when Jimmy Carter was president? Okay, you're telling on your age, I guess, by, by saying that. So the ladies who didn't raise their hand, good job. That's very... Very good. Very consistent. You didn't fall for it. All right. Very good. I won't name any names, but you didn't fall for it. Very good. So I so I remember a little bit of Jimmy Carter. Not very much. I was young then. But Jimmy Carter is famous in, in his for his time because he talked about there being a what in society, a malaise. And one of his officials said that America and the West is gripped with the same type of malaise today. We're in a depression, we're in a recession, we're in a terrible economic time. Things are tough and things are difficult. When the bad economics hit about a year and a half ago, at first I thought, well, you know, I wonder what will happen. And some people here at BBC, other people told me, don't worry, Pastor, because when times are bad, people will come back to church. But that didn't happen. And I wondered if that was a San Jose thing or a BBC thing. But when I was going on vacation for about three or four weeks to three weeks uh, to Virginia, North Carolina, I visited three different churches that I'm familiar with. A spoken one is great, but they're very down in attendance, in people, in giving, in ministries, everything. In fact, the church I worked for years ago laying off three pastors just this uh, just this summer because of the bad economy. The fact of the matter is, is that the malaise, the depression, the recession that we're facing in, our, in the West, is not causing people to come back to church. Why? Because the idea that God will solve our problems is not something that's popular anymore. There may have been a time where it was popular, but the reality is, is that our country and our world doesn't look, at least the West, does not look to God to bring the victory. Let me say it another way. When the economy gets better, will America praise God for it? Or will they thank Wall Street? Or will they thank the government? Well, we're going to talk about tonight because victory, if we want real victory in our lives, real victory is only going to come through Jesus Christ. Real victory in our lives is going to come through God. He is the only one who has the power, as we're going to talk about. He's the only one who has the power to radically change our lives and make a complete difference. So victory in Jesus. Our eight-week series is Choose Your Own Topic. Today we're going to look at a study of Psalm 118, verse 14 and beyond. Uh, that's Helen's favorite verse, but we're going to look at the whole thing. Uh, the, well, not the whole Psalm 18, but we're going to look at the verse 14 in context. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, let's go ahead and do that now. We're going to see what the Bible says here in Psalm 118. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 118, or if you want to turn on your iPhones and go to version or whatever and turn on Psalm 118, it'll be up on the big screen as well. There's Bibles under the seats. 
whatever you want to do. Um, but if you have one, it's good because you can refer down to it as we talk through Psalm 118 here tonight. All right, Psalm 118. This is a Psalm of David. We're going to look at a couple verses, verse 1 and this, then verse 14 through 19. So here's we're going to see what the Bible has to say. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. We've probably all heard that before. There's a lot of songs that go along with that particular statement there. In fact, we do forever all the time in the evening service, and that's word for word what that is right there. So this is a song of praise from David about God giving him victory. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in myself and I will thank the Lord. Well, let's talk about this. We're going to break this down into a couple ideas. If you have your handouts with you there, um, you can refer to them. You can pencil in if you'd like, if that would help you. Um, But three ideas, actually really two and a half here tonight. God will give us victory. First of all, we believe if we are here in church tonight that God can give us victory and that it is possible for victory to be a part of our lives. The challenge, though, is going to be how we achieve victory and what does that victory look like? See, it would be really easy for me tonight to say, woohoo, God's going to give us victory. All right, we're excited, yeah. And then we leave here, and on Monday we don't feel what? We don't feel victorious. Because a lot of the problem comes in understanding what kind of victory that God wants in your life. And not a misunderstanding this victory, because a lot of times the church, or especially folks on TV, they misdefine what victory is. So God will give us victory. Here in this, let me just give you some background information. This is David. David was, you know, king and was in a situation where he was out with the army, uh, people believe. And basically, they don't know all the details, but he was under attack, meaning physically. The army was under attack and he won the battle. So people came against him. And he cried out to God and said, God, you know, I I might lose my life here. I could lose my kingdom. I need victory from you. I need victory. I need strength to be able to fight the battle. And and they were successful. They won. And then David's like, I'm going to give God the victory for giving me the victory in battle. So if we are a believer in Christ, we should know that God will give us victory. But one of the hard things is understanding what that victory is and how God will bring about victory in our lives. Real victory only comes through and with the strength of God. This is very critical because we will never achieve real victory in our lives without the power of God working in them. Let me give you an example. Some of us, a lot of us, we struggle with finances. And I'm going to use finance a little bit tonight because, frankly, finances are very simple to refer to. But when we get a bill in the mail that we really don't want to deal with, I mean, we're like dreading this bill and this bill comes in the mail. And we're finally looking at it, sitting down at the kitchen table. and We think, you know, how am I going to pay for this? And a lot of times the average Christian, the average churchgoer says, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. God, help me pay for it. And then they immediately write the check. Or and hoping it won't bounce. But we do that because we're focused more on what we can do. 
I'm not suggesting that we don't pay the bill. But I'm suggesting that when we look to see the power of God in our lives, we are skeptical, born skeptical, that God really has the power to change things. We're a little bit skeptical that God can bring victory in our lives. Real victory only comes with the strength of God. Now, let me develop this a little bit and sort of demonstrate my point here. Real victory only comes with the strength of God. It is not by our power that we will succeed in life. It is by the power of God working through us that will allow us to succeed. Now, let me break down the passage. Uh, Verse 14 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Uh, The word song there, it's okay, but I don't want you to think that the idea in the original language is twinkle, twinkle, little star. You know, the Lord is my strength and he's a, a, a catchy 80s tune that I can hum, you know, while I'm doing my work. That's not what it means here. If you look at it in the original language, the word really has the sense of strength, actually. So sometimes people translate it as, yeah, uh, the Lord is my strength, my mighty strength. That would be one way. Uh, I, I like a better way because nobody really knows exactly what the word exactly meant or how it was used in context. But another good way of, of, of translating would be, the Lord is my strength and my battle cry or my war cry. In other words, it's a song, but it's a song of strength. Is that I'm crying out to God that when I face adversity, I'm crying out to him. So the idea of song here is not for us that we're just happy, happy, joy, joy, but that when we face struggles and we really want victory in our lives, that we are accepting God's strength and we are crying out to him as if we were in a battle, as if we were in war to, to, for him to work in our lives and bring victory. Let me just ask the $64 million question. It used to be $64,000, I think. Now it's 64. It should be 64 billion or trillion, right? I mean, that's really what it should be. Okay, the $64 trillion question. Why do we not experience victory all the time in our lives? Why do we not do that? I mean, again, it's, I could just say tonight, hey, God wants you to have victory. And y'all be like, yeah, all right, awesome. You go home and it's like you eat a Twinkie because it's not very filling or satisfying at all. Why do we not experience victory all the time? Well, two ideas that I want to throw out that I want you to think about seriously when we talk about experiencing victory. Um, The first idea is this. One of the reasons why we don't experience victory is because we are misdefining what God's victory is supposed to be in our lives. Okay, if you flip on the channel and you watch TBN or something like that, you get the idea that if you send 50 bucks that you're going to get $1,000 back or some kind of this, that, or the other, you know, that your victory is going to be financial. A lot of people in the West, a lot of Americans, their version of victory is the American dream or being financially sustainable and financially viable. And for that, they mean they want a house here, you know, a a vacation home and, you know, Cabo San Lucas, and they want, you know, uh, I mean, you got to have at least a Mercedes, you know, as a minimum. I mean, that... That's sort of the American dream and everything should be just fine and your boss should appreciate you and everything should be great and the IRS should leave you alone. We define victory by what we want more often than not. The victory that God wants to bring in your life, and this is the hard thing, but it's the true thing, is the victory that God desires for you. Let me say it another way. We all say we want victory, but how many of us ask God what is the victory that he wants to bring? A lot of us want the victory of lotto or Powerball if you're a little bit bigger thinking than some of us, right? 
We want God, we say, God, bring me the victory. And we mean we want to win the lotto or win the Powerball. That's what we mean. We mean that we want everything to just be taken care of and there be no issues. There's a problem with that. We'll pick that up in the second part of the message. But we don't ever ask God, God, what is the victory you want to bring in our lives? As Americans, we can't fathom that the victory that God wants to bring may not have anything to do with being rich or well off. The victory that God may want to bring is for you to lead your whole family to Christ. The victory that God may want you to lead to, to, and to bring about because of his power is to see every person in San Jose be fed and have a place to stay at night. The victory that God may want to bring into your life may be to plan a church north of Manila or north of Arusha or north of you pick it. That may be the victory. The victory that God may want to bring to your life is to be the best mom and dad possible. That may be the victory. But we don't we don't really think about that victory. That's not the victory we're praying for a lot of times. The victory that we oftentimes want more than anything is to be well off, to have the American dream. So many of us have missed the boat because we misunderstand what victory that God wants to bring is. By the way, which would you rather do? Would you rather be well off or would you rather do what God called you to do and created you to do? Now, that's a trick question because you can't sit in church and say, I'd rather be well off, you know, although we feel it. Right. Of course, God does want to take care of your finances. He wants to take care of the whole thing. I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is, is that we spend a lot of time telling God what the victory should be rather than asking God what the victory will be when we give him the power of our lives. You know, there's another thing here about victory, too. Because, and I've talked about this before, here's David in the psalm. He's in the middle of a battle, he's in the middle of a struggle, right? He's there in the midst, the thick of war, and he is ready to, I mean, he may die. And he's praying, God, save me, save my kingdom, save my people, do something here. David probably didn't go to God and be like, hey God, you know, I'm going to fight a battle, so if you feel like helping out, that would be awesome. You know, it's really up to you. That's not was his prayer. You know, I've told this story before, but it's such a good one. I had a professor in seminary who um, fought in World War One. Yes, he was about 100 uh, when he was in when I was in seminary with him. And I never actually had his class, but he was pretty famous because he um, he was he was in World War One. His whole squad was wiped out and the enemy troops came to uh, he was wounded, came to execute him by putting the gun, the rifle to his head and pulling the trigger. And so, like any man that would be in that situation, he said, God, if you get me out of this, as the troops were coming to over him, towards him, across the battlefield, he said, if you get me out of this, I'll do anything to serve you. True story. I'll do, I mean, I'll do anything to serve you. And the guy put the rifle to his head, and I got in trouble for service. I will not tell you where they bought the bullets, but they bought the bullets in a country where maybe you don't want to buy bullets from, you know, that we make fun of for for making things that are not very well well made. The guy pulls the trigger on the rifle. The bullet fires, hits him on the head, and ricochets around his head into his helmet and out the other side. Okay? So don't ever buy bullets from that country. All right? <laughs> anyway, true story, though. Of course, he couldn't believe it. And, you know, God really did something. But as I've said before, why does God show up on battlefields? Why does God show up when things are bad? It's because when we, when we pray 
When things are bad, we tend to mean it more. Listen, when the economy is great, how serious are we about God's victory in our lives? But when the economy stinks and we're in depression, we're in malaise, oh, that's when we can be very serious about victory in our lives. When times are good, it's easy to just sort of forget about God. When times are bad, that's when we really, really pray earnestly. By the way, I read a famous economist who said that financial and business success generally does not come when times are good. Because when times are good, everybody does well. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to do well in a good economy. But he said that the the true test of a businessman is doing well when times are bad. Because that's when it's hard to do well. Let me put this in our speak tonight. Everybody is sort of... Yeah, I can go to church this Sunday. I can give a little bit of money to the building. I can, yeah, I can pray for things. I can coach a little league team. I can do this. I can do that when times are good. But it's when times are bad that the real people will get serious about God because times are bad. If David was just relaxing with the army by the sea, sitting on the beach, His prayer would not have been in earnest. Listen, most of us struggle with this earnestness of prayer because we live in the West. And we live in the West and we believe that God really doesn't have the power to change our day-to-day life. And so when we pray to God, even in times when it's not good, it's just a malaise. It's not a battlefield. And so we don't really want the power of God completely in our lives. We're so used to accepting just the... That we don't get down on our knees and beg God in heaven for his power to be in our lives. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. But if we really, really, really wanted to see the power of God, we would pray it in earnest. And if we really wanted a victory, we wouldn't make up the victory ourselves. We would ask the king of heaven what victory he has in store for us and the desire for him. To make that victory plain. So those are two big issues. You know when you watch the TV. And you watch the, the guys with the big churches. or the, Sometimes they're even fake big churches. And they want you to buy their product. And all this and that sort of thing. And they'll give you victory in your life. They're not going to bring you victory. You know why? That's just you giving money. It's not going to change you. Because the only thing that brings victory. Is the power of God working in your life. Not somebody else's life. Your life. And your life is defined by how you relate to God. I would go, so, because this has been so abused, I would go one step further and say it's, it's, it is a function of faith. But it's not just simply faith. Because faith is what gives you the power to connect with God. Okay? But it's the fact that you will cry out like David in faith. That's what it is. Because we say, oh, I have faith, I have faith. I have faith, my car starts, I have faith that I'll get up in the morning. I have faith this and faith that. But to really and truly believe and know that God is the source of power in your life. Well, maybe they're just using faith wrong. So when, why do we not experience victory all the time? It's because of our understanding of victory. And it's because of the fact that, that we are not earnestly seeking God. 
we can thank God for giving us victory in life. I mean, that's that's what David did. I mean, David was so thankful because of what God did. He said that songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. You know, I asked this in all the other services this morning, but a lot of times, let's be honest, our songs and worship are just kind of, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Right. And then we just sing it. And, then, you know, it's just easy to just sort of what to really worship. And to really praise God for what He's done. I mean, has God done something victorious in your life? No. Yes, maybe. We have one yes. If so, there should be some passion. There should be some thankfulness of God. The Lord is my strength, my song. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. Meaning it's by the power of God that glory happens in our lives. The strong right arm of the Lord has raised a triumph and victory. The strong right arm of the Lord, His power has done glorious things. We can thank God for giving us victory in life. And in fact, He is the one for whom we owe that thanks. We praise God for exercising power in our lives. You know, here's the thing that really struck me. Um, My son is four. Okay, Wyatt, as you guys, most of you know, and Wyatt and I play swords in the backyard. We have these Nerf swords and they're awesome. And, you know, we just sword fight all the time. So the thing about the sword fighting, though, is that when Wyatt was two or three, because I didn't want to hurt him, my sword fighting was like, you know, because he's two or three. But now he's four. He's getting a little better and he can run around and, you know, try to hit me from behind and all this other stuff. Trying to teach him you don't do that. But, you know, he's four. So what are you going to do? So he's running around and he'll swing and he's going to swing pretty hard now for a four year old. And he's starting to get a good grip and he doesn't lose the sword. Uh, as easily as he did. So we'll sit there and I have to I have to be careful because sometimes he'll run and he'll whack me and it can hurt a little bit, you know, and ninety nine percent of the time I block it. But there's always that one percent where I just want to, you know, I don't want to have a little sting from from the sword. But he's a tough he's a tough kid. So the other day I was forgetting I was doing this. and I was forgetting and he ran. He was running this way and he swung the sword at me as hard as he could down here, you know, towards my knees and stuff. And so I didn't re- I was not really paying a great attention. I was looking at Bridget on the with her mom on the trampoline. And so I swung the sword as hard as I could um, at his sword. Now, here's the thing. Remember, I told you his grip's getting better. So when I hit the sword as hard as I could, it actually caused the sword to fly back right in his hand. He didn't let go of the sword. In fact, the strength of my blow was so strong because he was kind of in the air that he actually did a pirouette, flipped over and landed on the ground. Okay. Now he didn't cry. He's okay. He's okay. He's a tough little kid. Um, but he was pretty funny to see because the momentum, the power, just actually flipped over. Here's the thing: Wyatt's power is nothing compared to mine. It's nothing to say about me. It's because his, of his lack of power. Our power compared to God's is nothing. Also, yet we try to do things in our lives. And they're not successful when all it takes is just one movement of God and it will wipe away the issues that you have. It will wipe away the things that you are not victorious in that God desires victory for you. But his power is so strong and so complete that we it's not going to share space with your power. You have to choose whether you're going to do the things that you're going to do based on your power or whether you're going to do it in God's power. 
So we praise God when he exercises power in our lives because it's so great and so strong. So some of you, if you think back, for those of you who've been the Christian for a while, you can see how God has rescued you, how God has done amazing things through his power, through his ability to do stuff in your life. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, but always it is the power of God that sweeps in and solves these problems in your life. So we want to trust God for the power in our lives. Listen, the other th- uh, idea number two tonight is this, is that God will deliver us from defeat. God will deliver us from defeat. You know, <laughs> when we look at God and we look at what he wants to do in our lives, God really doesn't deal with defeat. God is not able to be defeated. He is not going to be defeated. He is not willing that defeat occur in anyone's life. Sometimes we choose defeat. We choose to be defeated. What's the old expression that sometimes we people, we snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory, right? That's what we do because we, it, when God can be victorious in our lives, we just give up or we give it away or whatever it is and we just allow we allow sin to reign in our lives and we allow there not to be victory. So God can deliver us from the defeat, no matter how bad our life is, no matter what the struggle in our lives. God is capable of delivering us from that defeat. Now, here's the thing. Even when things look bad, defeat is not an option for God. Defeat is not an option for the things that he wants to do in our lives. For you and I, defeat is an option. I'm sorry to say. Because some of us, all of us really, will will give in. Right? We give in. We try to do things ourselves. But when things look bad, defeat is not an option for God. When God wants to have victory, that he will cause victory. This is not only a statement of faith, this is a statement of fact. Why? Because God has the power. He's created the universe. If you think he can create the universe and he can't create a solution to your IRS problem, you're kidding yourself. He can. Or whatever problem it may be. But again, it requires going to God and knowing what victory he wants to bring praying and asking him, God, what kind of victory do you want to bring in my life? And then giving that part of your life over to him so that he can have control to bring the victory into your life. Even when things look bad, defeat is not an option. But listen, the struggle is real and we will not escape unscathed. Now, this is very important. The second part I said I would pick up a few minutes ago. Here's the problem. Very big problem. In the West, in America, we feel as though we should escape without any problems. You know, when David was fighting that battle, here's what he says. He says, I will not die. No, instead I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Now, what does that mean? Well, unfortunately, the word punished there is not really the best, but there's really no better way of translating it. But here's what it means. In the original language, the idea of punishment here in this situation is a byproduct of the struggle. Okay, so what the Bible is not saying is that God punished him during the battle. There's an old word in English that we used to call chastened, but we don't use that anywhere. Does everybody know what chastened is? Um, It means that, in other words, that when David went through the battle, he was cut. He was bloodied. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was damaged. He was hurt badly. And that that hurt of the battle was a reminder, a chastening to him, a scar to keep him focused on God, to remember that the power was God's and not his. You know, when we face struggles in our lives, whether it be financial or family or work or whatever it may be, 
because we live in the West, we want every battle to be won like Errol Flynn would win the battle, right? We want to dance through all the problems, swing our sword a few times and be done. And still look presentable afterwards without breaking a sweat. But the truth of the matter is, is that that's not the way that God works. You know why that's not the way God works? Because it's not the way our world works. Our world is a broken, sinful, selfish place. And when we go through life, there are going to be scars and there's going to be punishment because we're going to be punished as we go through and we struggle with things. That punishment is not from God, meaning he doesn't give the punishment, but it's a punishment that reminds us that we live in a world and that the the brokenness of our lives is constantly warring with what God's victory wants it to be. Let me give you an example for those of you who doubt. Because, again, our society is so given over to the Errol Flynn mentality. But, you know, let's think of probably the greatest apostle in the New Testament, right? Paul. Everybody's heard of Paul, right? Paul says what? I was beaten. I was bruised. I was scourged. I was imprisoned. I was shipwrecked. And like 20 of other things. Wouldn't God, of all people, try to prevent Paul from being hurt? But his whole life was a life where there are tons and tons of scars because of the victories that God won in his life. And you know what? Paul says that those things, the shipwrecks and the beatings and all the scars that I bear, remind me of the victories that God has brought. Hey, you know what else is crazy? There's someone else in the Bible, we talk about him a lot, who also bears the scars of God's victory. Anybody want to guess who that is? Starts with a J. Come on. Jesus, right. Jesus bears the scars of what? Of the crucifixion, right? Why not just have cosmetic surgery and get rid of the scars? That's what we would do. But the scars teach the victory that God brought don't they? When we see Jesus one day and we see the nails, pierced hands, right? It will be a reminder of the victory that God brought through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, when David was in the battle, he was beaten and bruised and bloody. But he said, you know what? I, I know I'm going to live, but I'm glad for the punishment from God, punishment of God, because that punishment, those scars, the wounding that comes through winning the battle, Remind me of what God has done and the victory that he has brought into our lives. So it's you know what? It's not going to be a perfect recovery. It's not going to be where everything works out 100 percent the way that you would like it to work out. That's not what victory means from the Bible's perspective. Victory means that God transforms your life and solves it. But there's going to be scars and there's going to be some pain and there's going to be some hurt and there's going to be some suffering along the way. That's the lot that we have in life. But it doesn't change that God has the power to bring victory because he's the one who defines what victory is. When we define victory, we would define victory as Errol Flynn and then winning the lotto. But that's not the way that God defines victory because God defines victory by what he wants to bring into our lives. The idea of punishment in the original language is a byproduct of the struggle. Let me go back for a second because here's the interesting thing here. It says here, the strong arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter. I will go in and thank the Lord. You know, God is going. I'll just go on. God will open up his house to us. Here's what's really cool. 
because David is so excited that he wants to go into the house of the Lord and praise him. Now, I know Psalm 114 is Helen's favorite, but I have to tell you, Psalm 119 really is cool as well. Let me just read this. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. Now, I don't want you to, be, I don't want you to miss this, so I'm going to break that down real clearly. Before I do, let me give you an example. When God does something victorious in our lives, what do we say to God? Hey, God, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You know, let me ask a question. When America gets out of the malaise, gets out of the recession, gets out of the depression and, and the economy is doing well again, whatever well means, I don't we can debate that. But when the economy is doing well again, it will one day it'll be it'll be fine. Everything will seem like everything's going along fine. Will the New York Times print a huge front page article that says, thank God we're out of the depression? Probably not. Although, I used that example in the first service. And you know what? 200 years ago, they would. Because 200 years ago, the New York Times used to run sermons from Jonathan Edwards and other people. 200 years ago, the people who worked there believe in God. But the West has lost that. We've given up completely. Most of us have given up completely on the power of God. Which is why the gospel is moving south and east as fast as the Holy Spirit will move. But you know what? What are we going to do when God brings victory into our lives? Are we going to... Hey, you know what? Twee, if you have financial problems, just say yes for argument's sake. Yes. yes. Okay, thank you. Yes. Hey, you know what? I'm going to give you whatever money you need to solve all your financial problems. And then if Twee says, oh, okay, great. And then she goes out here and tells everybody, yeah, you know, the Red Cross is the one who gave me all my money. Boy, would that make me happy? No. But you know what I've noticed in America today? I've noticed that we give credit where credit's not due. Who can bring the power to make real victory in our lives. Let me give you a hint. It's not Wall Street. It's not the government. It's not any social organization. None of those things can solve your life or bring victory. And I think that as I've noticed in the West, that's been a real strong problem because the West has turned more and more over to, the, and especially today, to allowing the government to be the savior of the world. You know, my friends in Sweden and in Amsterdam they want the government to do everything for them. Or, and it doesn't matter whether you use the government in that situation, Wall Street, a company. It doesn't matter. Because those things can't bring victory to your life. Which is why the New York Times and everybody else will, will give them credit when they need to give credit to God. They need to give credit to God. You know, when Joseph in the Bible, when he stored up grain for the Pharaoh, because the Pharaoh listened to him for the seven years that was bad, seven years of lack, and then there was a time of... Good times again. They praise God because he was the one who did it. But our society will praise Wall Street or they'll praise government or they'll praise something else. But that's not who we should praise. God will open up his house to us. You know, what's really cool here. David didn't really know who the Messiah was. David lived about 800 to 1000 years before the Messiah. David knew that God would send the Messiah, but he didn't know what the Messiah's name would be. He didn't understand it. He'd read his Bible, so he knew God would send a Messiah, but he didn't know. But he had faith, and he believed that God would one day bring a Messiah, and that God would make everything right again. And you know what? The thing is, is that during David's time, when he says, Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, I will go in and thank the Lord. During David's time, you just didn't walk into the temple. But he's saying, listen, throw open the gates of the temple, and let's rock the house of the Lord. Because of the victory that he's brought. That would be like you. I tried to think of an example this morning of what it would be like. There's no parallel. 
it, well, there is one parallel, but you'll be shocked by it. But let me give you the, the little parallel. The little parallel would be like you. If God did a victory on Tuesday in your life, you call me on Tuesday and saying, I'm going to bust open the door of church and go in there and yell and scream my war cry because God brought victory in my life. And I'll be like, okay, I guess I'll meet you over there, turn off the alarm or whatever, okay? But you know what the best example is of what David's talking about here? Open for me the gates where the righteous will enter. And I will go and thank the Lord. You know what the biggest parallel David's talking about there? He's saying, you know what? That one day I'm going to kick in the gates of heaven. And I'm going to run in and I'm just going to give my thanks to God. You know, we in the West, we're like this. We're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And uh, when I get to heaven and walk in and be like, hey, God, thanks for everything. Good job. But David's saying that when he gets the chance to go into the house of God, that he's going to knock the doors open, run in and on his knees is going to just yell because of the victory that God has done in his life. But that's because he wanted victory and he wanted God's victory in his life. So, here's the question. The question is, you've got to decide whether you want God's victory in your life. You've got to decide whether you want the power of God to work in your life. It may not work the way that you think it will work. Every time we try to tell God what to do, that don't work out so well, right? No, it doesn't work out very well to tell God what to do. But when we open up our lives and we on, just are down on our knees and crying out to God for God's solution, for victory, for repair, for healing in our lives, that's when God starts to do something. He doesn't necessarily do it always the way that we want him to do it, but he does do something. And he does bring victory because defeat is not an option for him. It may not be defeat. It may not be victory that other people out here in the world will see, although it can be. It may not be always the victory we want, although it can be. But it's the fact that we cry out to God, that we recognize him as the strong, the strength and the song, the war cry of our lives that truly brings victory in our lives. It truly opens the door for the power of God to work in our lives. We cannot listen. We will never solve this problem if we are the typical Westerner, the typical American who kind of gives God lip service, but never really wants desires real victory in their lives. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you tonight, Lord, and we thank you that we are able to have victory. We thank you that we um, can just turn our lives over to you and that instead of struggling ourselves, that you can have the power. Lord, it's going to be hard. There's going to be scars. I mean, there's going to be struggles, but you can do it. God, you're able to turn it over into our lives. And so we thank you for that. Father, we pray tonight for everyone here that if there's anyone here who's never committed their life to you through Jesus, that they will do that because without that victory, there's there's really nothing else that, that can happen. But for those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, Father, I just pray that we would just desire a victorious life, that we would go to you ask you what the victory is lord that we would we would we would desire and we would request and just cry out that you would come into our lives and that your power would bring us that victory and that god knowing that we would not be unscathed but that you can solve it no matter how difficult it would be that you can solve it lord that's what we ask we pray this in jesus name amen 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 Amen. Amen.